Dr. Curtis Jones is the school superintendent for Bibb County, Georgia. How have you been? Has it been your typical summer break? It has not been my typical summer break. Normally, my family takes a family reunion time together. We did not do that this time. My family is from Texas, and they are pretty much a hot spot, and Georgia's a hot spot, and my mom is 90. So we decided to take a break from the family reunion this time. I last spoke with Curtis in May, right after he decided to end the school year early. Since then, Bibb County has also pushed back the start of school this fall, until after Labor Day. But Curtis still has a big decision to make about what school will look like. He's choosing between two options, in-person learning or all remote learning. In Georgia, each school district can make their own choice about how to reopen. So it's up to Curtis. How are you feeling about having to make this decision? Does it stress you out? Are you worried you'll make the wrong call? Well, I know half the people are going to be mad (laughs) and half the people are going to think it was an okay decision, but not the best. Even if it's the right decision, it was made too late. And I just pray a lot, I'll be honest. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Kate Leinbaugh. It's Monday, July 27th. Coming up on the show, two options for what school could look like this fall and how one superintendent is making the decision. This episode of The Journal is brought to you by KPMG. At KPMG, we make the difference. It's not just something we say, it's what we do. We work closely with clients to uncover insights that illuminate opportunity, develop bold solutions that innovate industries, and create better outcomes driven by data. Brighter insights, bolder solutions, better outcomes. It's how our people make the difference. KPMG, make the difference. Okay, so Dr. Jones, I want to look at the two plans you're considering to bring kids back this fall. One is for all remote learning, and one is for in-person learning. Let's start with the in-person plan. How does it work? We have over 20,000 students uh, this coming year, and over 8,000 of those students have already selected remote learning, and that's from kindergarten all the way through 12th grade. So our classes usually at 28. We're now looking at about 15 inside the classrooms. We have reduced the number of students. The buses we have now can run the same number of routes, but we have less students who will be riding. We also have asked more parents to provide transportation for their students if they can. And about half the ones who are coming have said that's what they will do. So we'll be able to get more social distancing on the bus than what we initially thought. Once they enter the school, We have devices that are touchless, so we'll be able to take every student and staff member's temperature when they enter the building. All of our schools have a nurse or a health professional, and they will help monitor that and turn the information in. What you will see will be signs that will be up at the front saying this is a required mask zone. Students will have masks on, bus drivers will. Anytime you're in the hallway, you have a mask on. Once you get to the classroom, we're asking the teacher to monitor the use of masks and for students and teachers to wear masks to the maximum extent possible. 
We have ordered masks. The governor sent us one per student. Locally, we were buying another one, so our students will have that. We're issuing masks to our teachers. For teachers in the lower grades, they need to be able to see students' faces and mouths when they're trying to learn to read, and so we had to give them some extra protection. So they will have shields. When it's time to transition for lunch, one of two things will happen, and we haven't finalized this yet, but either students will go to the cafeteria, pick up their lunch, and take it back to the classroom, or the cafeteria staff will take the lunches to the classroom for the students. And will there be recess and gym and sort of switching classes like normal? So what we're going to do is to the, again, the maximum extent possible, have teachers change classes instead of students. That's easier to do in elementary and middle school. High school is a little bit more challenged, but we're working that process now. And so that's going to reduce the number of transitions that you see where students are moving. For classes like chorus, students will still go to chorus, but they will not be singing. They will be studying music theory and things of that nature. And that's just because we know that when you put out a lot of air, then that's also a lot of germs that can be flying in a small area. We still have students going to the gym, but they'll be studying health. And that gives us another area where we can still spread students out, but again, it won't be a lot of exertion. Yes, we're still going to let them go do recess. Uh, We think students need to have that time. We also think being outside is better than being inside, but that'll be monitored. And again, it's with fewer students than what we would have during a normal year. And how would the day change for teachers? So for those who are teaching in person, they will have a smaller class load that they would be working. So that's one. Two, we're going to ask them to still continue to use blended learning and in many ways to flip the classroom. Because if we have this technology, we're going to use it to the maximum extent possible. So I think what you will see is now teachers will record the introductory part of a lesson Students will be able to watch it at home. Their parents will be able to see it. And so parents won't have those same questions like, okay, what did you learn today? Or what are you supposed to do for homework? How do you do that? It'll be on a video and it'll be available for them to see. And what's the plan if someone, a student or a teacher or an administrator, gets the virus? So if someone gets sick, the protocol that we've put in place is we, and I have a person on my staff who's dedicated to this. He's our safety manager will notify the Department of Health, and they will help us determine which part of the school needs to close down, if the whole school needs to close down, who needs to be notified in that process. And in many ways, that's going to add more consistency, and I think it gives parents more confidence that when there's something that they need to know, they will be told. How do you think teachers are feeling about coming back to school? Are they worried about being in the classroom with other people? There's a lot of anxiety and fear about returning to school. And so we've tried our best to communicate with them our decision-making and giving them the answers quicker. For example, I did a Facebook Live with them and gave them an opportunity to ask me questions after I presented our plan. But they're still nervous. And so one of the good things about us delaying school is it's giving teachers an opportunity to come into their building their classroom, set the classroom up the way they would like. We have devices that we are going to use to clean our schools. This has a mist that it puts out, and it takes about 10 minutes, but we're going to be doing that on a consistent basis, and I need teachers to see that so they have confidence. But right now, there's still, uh, there's, there's concern. What are you telling them to assuage their concerns? So 
I make it personal. I tell them that I have a son who's a teacher in another district. I have a niece who's a teacher in a different district. I have grandchildren who are in school. My wife works in our district, and I'm in the district. And I want other superintendents to do what I'm doing, which is to make sure that we have employees who are safe because I don't want anybody taking anything home to my family. And so recognize that this is not about money. This is not about test scores. This is about us trying to do what we say we're going to do, which is mission first, people always. We're going to do our mission and teach the kids, but we're always going to take care of our people. There's kind of a a contentious debate right now, it seems, over whether teachers should be considered essential workers. Has this come up in your conversations with your teachers? It has. It has. I had one teacher who shared with me a question of last spring when we were doing the remote learning, when custodians and nutrition workers and bus drivers went out, they got hazardous pay uh, and they got personal protective equipment. Uh, What about us? Why aren't we considered that way? Uh, And I shared with one of our U.S. senators when he was talking with a group of us about what we could do to get school open was, I said, you got to take away the anxiety that teachers have. And I'm having those conversations with anybody who will listen. If teachers are concerned about their safety, their health, their families, they're not going to be very good teachers. And we have to deal with that. It's just that perception is a reality. After the break, why Curtis's in-person learning plan might not happen this fall. So I want to talk about the remote learning plan. What does that look like? And can you walk me through how it's supposed to go? So I'm very excited about that. So what will happen during the month of August is teachers will come back to school. They will reach out to parents and share with them, this is the teacher for your child for this year. And we want to make sure that we have great communication and that the device you have interacts and integrates with our system well. Our board approved the issuance of bonds so all our students can get new devices. We're going to put in place a one-to-one initiative. Now we're going to have it so every student has a device that they can use. So that's going to be good. That will be a a big advantage over what happened last year. You're going to see teachers now doing two things that would be different than last year. One is they will be teaching from the school, not from home, so there will be better connectivity. And two, what teachers will be able to do is they will have a time where they will tell students, here's when you're going to meet and we will have a live conversation. Mm. That conversation will be recorded so people can go back and watch it. That will give parents the schedule and the rigor that they thought they were lacking this past year. And there will be times in that schedule during the week where students will be given assignments ahead of time and they will work on them. And what does fully remote learning mean for teachers who need childcare? You heard that, right? Yeah, I did. (laughs) So what we've told teachers is that during the month of August when we're doing our pre-planning, they can bring their children to school with them. Once school starts, we have asked the local community to help us out. We have like 73 different daycare providers. And so for those who are willing, we've asked for dedicated slots for our teachers so teachers would be able to find a place near their home so they could drop kids off and not worry about it. You asked me earlier about if teachers should be essential. 
and I do believe they should be. We need to recognize the hard work. I think in the past we focused a lot on this idea that it's all about education. Well, the first thing we do is provide a safe environment, and that's essential. And we can't do it without our essential workers, and that's where I think all our teachers and paraprofessionals, bus drivers, nutrition workers, front office staff, back office staff is. It takes all of them. I've learned that. I was in the military, and I recognized and learned that for every infantry soldier, there were three people behind them supporting them. In education, for every teacher, there's about three people behind supporting them as well. What do you think is the benefit of this remote learning plan? I think the benefit of this remote learning plan is it will help us transform education. I think that we will have students with more choices. Currently, they can pick between a home school, a private school, in some cases, a magnet school, or their own public school that they're zoned for. This is allowing us to do things that we had thought about doing but had not done before. For example, now we're going to be able to say, if you want to take Latin, it doesn't matter what school you're in, we have a teacher and you can take that class online. You're going to see us offering more online classes, even for students who are receiving instruction at a school. They just may be taking it from a teacher on another campus. Hmm. We haven't done anything like that. So I think this time next year, students will be offered a choice. Do you want to get your classes online or do you want to get them in person? And that's something we haven't traditionally done. Now that I think we've crossed that bridge, I don't think we're going to go back. If there's a drawback, students who are doing remote learning have to accept more responsibility for their learning. You're not going to have a teacher standing over your shoulder saying, get back to work, stop daydreaming. That's going to be missing. The other drawback is the loss of sociability. Students need to be around other students so they can learn how to be a part of a team, how to collaborate, how to cooperate, how to communicate. Uh, those soft skills that we know are so important is going to be challenged when we are doing remote learning. In the spring, you told me that homeless students in your district were falling through the cracks. Yes. How have you prepared to better serve them and other students with poor Wi-Fi or not necessarily like a good spot to learn? So for the homeless students, what we have found is that they missed us. And they were ready to come back to school. And so for those students, this idea of reaching out to them has worked. In the spring, we were really hesitant to send the homeless liaisons out. Now we're more confident. We have a process in mind where if we lose contact with a student, we can put that person in one of our system vehicles along with a part of our security force, and they can go out and visit the family, the student, and find out what's happening. Those individuals will have protective equipment to help them with that. So that's going to be better. We had three community web meetings. One was with the community, and we told the community we need help. We need help with Wi-Fi because not all students were in places where they could get it. How can you help us? And the libraries, for example, stepped up and said, we have Wi-Fi. If we're open, students can come inside our buildings and receive and use our computers and our Wi-Fi. They can park in our parking lot. That gave us an idea. We're going to leave our Wi-Fi on so students can park in the parking lot in the evenings, on the weekends as well. We've asked the city and county government to leave their Wi-Fi on and businesses, so there's more of that. We also own seven buses that are equipped with Wi-Fi, and so we're going to put them in the areas where we knew we had dead spaces, and students will be told about that so they can go out at certain times and be able to link to that to get to Wi-Fi. 
We had a lot of hot spots that we were able to give students who did not have internet. And our local company was able to give pretty much high band at a, a low cost. We are asking them to continue that as well. And we have a lot of people in our community who has decided to pay for that for our students uh, for at least six months. And so we think we're going to be better. So you are going to have to decide between these two choices, in-person or remote. How are you going to decide? The primary way we're going to decide is by looking at the level of community spread in our district. If it gets to a level where we believe it's manageable and after conferring with the North Central Health District and getting an idea of what's happening with that and knowing where our teachers are, that would be when I can make that recommendation. For us, it's about spread. And when you look at the community spread in Bibb County now, how is that affecting your thinking about which plan you will choose? So every time people ask me that, I tell them that if I had to make the decision today, it would be, and so far every time it has been the remote learning option. Back in the spring when we decided to go out, we were at like 150 cases per 100,000. And then this past week, we were at 600 cases per 100,000. And so those numbers have just kept going up, up, and up. Now we're six times higher. We need to get it under control. There's been a big push by the federal government from President Trump for schools to reopen this fall. The CDC released a statement on Thursday about the importance of reopening schools. What do you make of that focus from the federal government? Do you think it's the right message? I don't think it's the right message. I heard our governor say something, and it was that we have to do two things at once. We have to fight for people's lives and their livelihood. But the lesson from World War II was that while we were trying to fight two wars at the same time, we had to hold one at bay and defeat the other. we got to do the same thing here. I think you have to decide if you're going to hold livelihoods at bay by providing incentives and support to people who are not able to work and make sure we get the health piece taken care of. We've tried to do both at the same time, and it's not worked. So the way we concluded our last interview is I told you that my fourth grader had a question for you. He wanted to know if he would ever see his friends again. Now he's a rising fifth grader, and his question is, will he be able to hug his friends again? Um, not soon. Not soon. He can hug his mom. He can hug his dad. He can hug people in his family. I think we have to start learning how to give air hugs. It's not going to be soon. I think until this COVID situation is under control, we have a vaccine, and we are being more proactive. Unfortunately, he's going to have to see them and smile and, and be able to use his communication skills more so than his sense of touch. Sorry. Yeah. You said it better than I did. <laughs> I was like, come on, kid, of course you can't. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, but that's one of the reasons why they come. And it's how you learn to interact and know that you're not in this world alone. And so it's going to be hard, but we can do it. You know, we need to stop having these silly conversations about why do I need to wear a mask? Do it because the health professionals are telling us to. Do it because you want us to be able to put kids back in school. Do it because you want to do unto others as they do unto you. Just do it. Dr. Jones, thank you so much for your time, and good luck with your decision. Appreciate it. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. 
That's all for today, Monday, July 27th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. If you like our show, follow us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We're out every weekday afternoon. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.